celebrate over me, my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. So we're in a series called Fight, right? And uh, this is week five, actually. And I, I feel like we've learned a lot, at least uh, I have. Um, so week one, we uh, corrected the lie that if God wants you to have it, you won't have to fight for it. Uh, that's just simply not true. Uh, you're going to have to fight for God's will in your life. Week two, uh, we, we talked about your form, most formidable opponent, you, <laughs> and, and how to win that internal battle, that internal struggle. Week three, uh, we kind of looked at our scattering report on our spiritual enemy. We looked at Satan's tactics and schemes. We talked about how to counteract those. And then last week, we talked about our spiritual armor uh, and how the reason we lose spiritual battles is because we do not have our spiritual armor on. This week, uh, I want to talk about something that, like the, the principle we're going to look at is maybe a little countercultural, it, it, maybe even like un-American in some ways. Um, it the principle may grate against your pride a little uh, or, or a lot, depending on uh, where you're at. Um, but it's a principle that, um, like if you don't get this principle, I feel like even if you've gotten everything else up to this point in the series, even if like week one, week two, week three, week four, checks in the boxes, if you don't get this one, I still think you're gonna lose. I still think you're gonna lose those spiritual battles that you're fighting in your life. Uh, I still think um, <laughs> like you, you're going to fail to accomplish God's purpose in your life and uh, you're gonna, like, not going to be able to become the man or the woman that God has created you to be. Uh, so here's the principle. You ready? Here's the principle. Um, you weren't designed to fight alone. You weren't designed to fight alone. I believe that if you try to fight the battles in your life on your own, you'll lose. Even if you got all that other stuff down, uh, if you choose to go out onto the battlefield by yourself, you can't win. If you try to accomplish like God's purpose and, and fulfill God's mission for you in your life by yourself, you're not going to do it. If you even like on your own try to become the man or the woman that God's created you to be, if you try to venture out uh, on your own to accomplish that, I don't think it's going to happen. You, were, you, you weren't designed for single combat. And I know that's like, uh, it is kind of an un-American thing, right? Like we, we think of ourselves as, as, as being able to do that on our own, but you weren't designed to fight alone. So I wanna, today what I wanna do is kind of look at the implications of that. Um, what does that mean to you? And, and how can we leverage this truth that now, like if we accept that we can't fight alone, can't win alone, uh, like how can we leverage that in our lives? So let's pray and let's jump into that. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for being here, Lord. I thank you for um, every person in this room, Lord. I, I believe they're here because you brought them here, and I pray um, they're open to what you do today. I pray that we uh, listen closely uh, as your spirit moves this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, I want to look at one of the most important sections of Scripture that there is. Uh, I believe all of the Bible is important, but I believe some sections are particularly important. And Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, is one of those sections. Uh, so here's what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Sisera Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So Jesus asked his disciples this question, like, hey, who, who do people say the Son of Man is? In case you don't know, a lot of times Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. So what he's asking them is, hey, what are people saying about me? You know, what's, 
what's the rumors out there? Like, what's, what's Facebook saying about Jesus? Like, what's, what's trending on Twitter, hashtag Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's out there? You know, what's, what's popular opinion about who I am? And they answer in verse 14. They say, well, uh, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Um, now, it's easy to like skim over that, but that's some pretty crazy stuff to say about a guy because John the Baptist has just died two chapters previous in, in Matthew 14. Elijah and Jeremiah have been dead for hundreds of years. So for them to say that that's who Jesus is is pretty crazy stuff, right? Um, so if I could generalize it a little bit, what they're saying is that people definitely think there's something about you, Jesus. They like, nobody thinks you're ordinary, like everybody thinks there's, there, man, there's something about this guy, even to the point where they're saying some supernatural things about him. They're like, hey, I don't know, like, I don't know what it is, but man, there's something about you that's past normal. There's, there's something supernatural about you. Um, which, by the way, like if you, if you kind of back up, even now we're 2,000 years from when Jesus asked this question, I'd say it's pretty similar. Right? We, we uh, kind of live in a day and age where a lot of people, I think almost everybody would say there was something special about Jesus. They may not agree that it was supernatural. They, they, may, not, uh, they may not definitely agree what we believe about him. But I think almost everybody has to admit there was something about him. You know, the, the world changed completely because of his life. I mean, our calendar split in two because he lived. Uh, Jesus did not leave the world the same. So there's something about him. Uh, something even, most people would say, supernatural. So um, that is an interesting question to, to dig around, that, that actually popular opinion about Jesus hasn't changed for 2,000 years. It's still about the same. But that's not the most important question. The most important question is the question that Jesus asks after this question in verse 15. And here's what Jesus says. But then he asked him, but who do you say I am? Who do you say? That is a much more important question than who does everybody else say I am. The question is, who do you say I am? Everybody in this room has to answer that question. Um, who do you think Jesus is? You, you can't not have an opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to, have it, you have to be able to answer that question. Who, do, who am I saying that this guy is? Um, and I would say it's the most important question you'll ever answer. So I hope you've spent some time thinking about this question because it is like the question of your life. Now, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, is going to answer Jesus here. And here's what Peter says. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So Peter answers and, and then Jesus immediately says, ding, ding, ding. That's the right answer. Okay. So Peter's answer is that Jesus is the Messiah, which is another way of saying Savior. And he says he's the son of the living God, which is another way of saying, hey, we kind of think like you're not just a man. There's something more there. Um, and Jesus says, yep, that's me. And this is essentially what we believe as Christians. Christians believe that Jesus is not just a man, but God incarnate, fully God and fully man. No, we don't fully understand how all that worked, but we actually believe that Jesus was like the God-man. And we believe that he came to die in our place for our sins uh, to save us and give us a right relationship with God. He is Savior of the world, Son of God. That's what uh, Christians believe about Jesus. And you have to decide. You have to decide what you believe about him. Um, Matter of fact, the only thing that matters the day you stand before God, and I believe that day will happen for all of us, 
is how you answer this question, who you say Jesus is. The right answer is son of God, savior of the world. You have to decide that though. Can't be your spouse, can't be how, like what my parents thought about him. You're gonna have to answer that right here. Um, so I hope, like I said, I hope you spent some time on that. Now, uh, Jesus moves past this, this statement into a, another one in verse 18. Um, he, he says, and I also say that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, this is a slightly controversial verse inside of Christianity, just so you know if you're familiar with it, but um, there's a couple of different ways you can read it. Some people think that when Jesus says, like, he's going to build this church upon this rock, the rock that he meant was Peter. That Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church upon you, Peter. Um, that's, that would be like a, a very Catholic take. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant. When Jesus says this, uh, that he's going to build his, uh, his church upon this rock, I think what Jesus is referring to is the thing that Peter had just said, the confession that Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world. Jesus is saying, hey, that truth that you just said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on that. That's the foundation of the church is that I am the Son of God, Savior of the world. That's the base. I'm going to build it up from there. Now, I'll ho hopefully uh, you see that. Um, now, I love this line. This line right here, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower. It's one of those like victorious, exciting lines that Jesus said uh, in his life. And I want to dig into this a little bit. I want to dig into this a little bit. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I specifically right now want to dig into this word church and the word that uh, is translated church, the, the original uh, Greek language that this is translated from. The word church is this word ekklesia, ekklesia. And the literal translation of this word would be uh, an assembly or a, or a gathering. Um, and the way we would look at it is a gathering or an assembly of people with a shared belief about who Jesus is. Uh, a group of people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Savior of the world. Uh, and, and we also believe that that has implications for us and the world. Um, the problem is, when Jesus says, I will build my church, like the word church... There's something about that word. We, we have a problem with that word, don't we? Um, and it's not like the word's problem, but it's the way we view the word. Uh, so for example, if you type the word church into Google image search, this is what comes up. Uh, let me ask you, do you think that's what Jesus meant? <laughs> I will build my church buildings and the gates of hell will not overpower them. Especially this one, it's pretty cool. Like... I don't think that's not what he meant, right? So Google has a problem, right? But, but it's even us, right? We, we, the way we talk about it, we say things like, I'm going to church today, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not like bashing that. But uh, like what we mean is, uh, well, because this isn't true for us, right? We meet in a school, so we don't meet in one of these. Um, but we kind of mean like an event, right? Something that's going to happen from 1030 to 1130, right? Um, and I don't think that's what Jesus meant either. So... It, what Jesus meant when he says, I will build my ecclesia, it, it is not this, and it's not an event, it's a people, right? It, it's not that we go to ecclesia, it's that we are ecclesia. He wasn't saying he was going to build a building, he wasn't saying he was going to build an event, he was saying he was going to build us, us. And, and it is us together that are going to shake the gates of hell. 
a small but important distinction, right? It's not that you go to church, it's that you are the church. And this is, the reason this is important to me is because if I say the sentence like, hey, you need, you need church, you need church in your life, you need church. And if I say that sentence, you need church, and you think when I say the word church, you think this, you're gonna think I'm dumb, right? <laughs> like, I don't need one of those. Uh, and, I, and I actually agree with you. I, I think you could never step foot into one of these in your life, and I think you could be okay, because it's not the building. It's not the building. So, I don't want to use the word church today. Maybe that's going to be weird. But I don't want to use the word church. When, when I want to talk about this ecclesia thing that Jesus was talking about, I don't want to use the word church because I think it's so loaded. You know, I think our brains can get into a groove about how you think about a word. And I don't want to fight that. So I just want to, I just want to not use that word uh, today. And I thought about, instead of using the word church, I thought about using the word army. It kind of fits better, right? Like I will build my army and the gates of hell will not stand against it. That's, that sounds cool. And, it kind of, and I think army actually is closer than this to what Jesus meant. Um, but for us, like specifically Mosaic, um, I thought army was like too regimented, too polished. You know what I'm saying? Like we're a little more raw. We're a little more gritty than an army. We don't stand in straight rows. Our boots aren't spit shine. You know what I'm saying? Like that's not us. Um, so instead of using the word church, instead of using the word army, the, the word I want to use today is tribe. Not the Indians, um, but, but a tribe, a, a group of people, like a renegade tribe of followers of Jesus, living in community together, uh, loving each other, and working together to build God's kingdom here on this earth. A tribe. Just for today. I'm not saying we're, gonna, like, we're not changing our name to the Mosaic tribe. Like, I'm not, that's weird. Nobody would come. Uh, I would come because that's just weird. Um, but... I just want to use this word today because I believe that the, that the way we think about a tribe working is probably closer to what Jesus meant when he said ecclesia than this. So I'm going to use that word today. So, so if I said, if I change the sentence from, hey, you need a church, which I think you could argue, if instead I change it to, hey, you know what you need in your life? You need a tribe. You need a group of people who share a common belief about the most important thing. You need a group of people who share a common mission and a common purpose. You need a group of people who you can say, man, those are my people. Those are my people. You need a tribe. If I said it that way, you'd give out a harder time arguing with me. Because you weren't designed to fight alone. The battle God called you to win is too big. The enemy's too strong, too many. You need a tribe of people who will stand shoulder to shoulder with you to fight alongside you because you can't win alone. You can't win alone. So I'm going to give you uh, like four reasons you need to be part of a tribe, or we could also uh, talk about it as uh, like four characteristics of a good tribe to be a part of. Okay, that's what I'm going to give you now. So uh, a good tribe, first thing they do is they call, uh, you need a tribe, they call each other up. They call each other up. And what I mean by that is that inside of a tribe, um, they make each other better, um, there's an enhancement that happens inside of a tribe that you're not going to get outside of the tribe. And, and what I mean is, like, you're actually going to be a better you inside of a tribe than you would be outside of a tribe. You're going to be better inside of it. Uh, Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer, and three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. On your own, you can be defeated. Two people are harder to beat. Three are even harder. A couple hundred, even harder. 
And what happens is like inside of a tribe, like the sum total of the parts is greater than the individual parts. You know what I'm saying? Like once you add them all together, it like makes more than it should because when they come together for a single purpose, something happens. So if we all tried to go after something individually, we'd only get so far. But if we come together with unity and singleness of mind and purpose, the impact can be huge. The impact can be huge. Are you familiar with the debate uh, among NBA fans, if you're an NBA fan, uh, about who is the greatest great basketball player. You familiar with that? Um, I've mentioned before, and I, before I mentioned like LeBron and, and Jordan, that's usually the ones you talk about, but there's also somewhat of a debate between LeBron and Kobe. You know, the, the, the people in California actually think Kobe's better than LeBron. It's crazy. Those of us in Ohio know better. Um, but there's a debate, and uh, I actually, I am biased, but um, I believe LeBron is better than Kobe ever was. I want to show you two pictures that, that for me, uh, speak to part of why I believe that. I know it's a complicated debate, and if you're an NBA fan, you've got a bunch of reasons, whatever. Go on ESPN.com, and you can tell everybody about them. Um, but I have a microphone, so I get to tell you mine. Um, two pictures. First picture of Kobe, okay? Uh, first picture of Kobe, and here's the picture of Kobe. It's a pretty cool picture, actually. Um, now, if you are unfamiliar with basketball, five players on the court for your team at a time. If you're counting correctly, yes, that is four people guarding Kobe. Uh, double teams are, are pretty common in basketball. Triple teams are pretty rare. Quadruple teams may be like the first in history that four people are actually guarding one guy in an NBA game. What this means is that three players of Kobe's team are wide open right now. Does it look like he's passing? No, he's not. He's not. Um, now, Kobe's a great player. If he made the shot or not, uh, pretty sure he shot it. But um, Kobe doesn't trust his team. You know what I'm saying? He believed shooting out of a quadruple team was a better shot than any shot that his teammates could have taken even though they don't have anybody on him. That's what Kobe believed. Um, now, compare that. I want to show you a picture of LeBron. It's not as cool of a picture, and you're going to be a little confused at first, but that's okay. This is my picture of LeBron. That is LeBron. Ignore the suits, they're front office guys. Um, so even if you're a decent basketball fan, you're not gonna recognize very many of these people. So you know him, that's Zadrunas, he was here forever. You know him, that's Wild Thing, right? That's uh, Anderson Verjao. But besides that, unless you're really into the NBA, you don't know who these guys are, right? If you're really in, you might go, okay, I know who Larry Hughes is, and oh yeah, I remember Daniel Gibson. Um, <laughs> but you don't know Danielle Marshall, shut up. You don't know him, you don't know him. <laughs> He was okay at shooting three-pointers, but he's not, yeah. You know why you don't know these guys? I'll just be honest with you. They're not any good. <laughs> it's a obvious answer. They're not any good. But you know what? This, this is a 2007 finals team. They went to the NBA finals. You know why? Because LeBron makes his teammates better. He makes his teammates better. Unlike Kobe, he actually enhances his teammates. Everything they did was better because LeBron was there. Whoever shoots out of a quadruple team, he's going to pass it to his teammate for a layup, which is a better shot. So what I'm trying to get you to see here, and I'm sorry if I bored you if you're not a sports fan at all and you don't know what's going on, what I'm trying to get you to see here is at, inside of a tribe, we shouldn't have a Kobe mentality. A good tribe has a LeBron mentality with the goal to make each other better, to call each other up. And, and because we're in the tribe, we're better for it. Uh, we don't try to shoot out of a quadruple team.
All right, so the, that's the first thing uh, about a good tribe. That's the first reason you need to be in a tribe is because a tribe will call you up. You should be a better you inside of a tribe than you should be outside of it. The second thing that a good tribe does is we call each other out. So we call each other up and we call each other out. A good tribe is gonna keep each other accountable. Galatians 6.1 says this, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now, admittedly, this is not an enjoyable experience, right? It's not enjoyable to get called out on your stuff, right? You're not looking forward to having somebody say to you, hey, man, you're really screwing up. Like, that's not a fun conversation to, to, to be on that end of. And, and to be completely honest, it's not fun to be the one who's given it, right? Uh, I don't, that's not a phone call you look forward to. Like, man, I can't wait to, like, call this person I love and tell them they're really messing up. Like, this is, I'm just going to be awesome. I can't wait to do that. Like, you don't do that, right? If you enjoy that, there's something wrong with you, okay? Um, it's, it's difficult, to do. But a healthy tribe does the uncomfortable thing. A healthy tribe cares about each other too much to allow sin and dysfunction in each other's lives. And I know like the first, the first one we say call each other up, like that makes being a part of a tribe appealing. It's, yeah, man, I need to be a part of a tribe. I'm a better person inside of a tribe. I need a tribe. And this one, maybe you're going, mm, about that though. Like, I don't know if I want to be a part of a tribe that does this. Being called out, having to be the one calling people out sounds horrible. But let me tell you something. And this is really important. You'll always be as sick as your secrets. You know that? Like what I mean is like you're, you're never going to grow past the point of that stuff that you won't come clean on. That's going to be like a ceiling in your life that you can't grow past. You're never going to get healthier than those things you won't admit and, and a good tribe recognizes that. We, we, this is one of the things we say here all the time. It's okay that you're not okay, but it's not okay that you stay that way. We, we're going to love each other too much to, to allow somebody to stay that's inhibiting their growth. So we're going to try and create an environment where it's okay that you're not okay. Bring, bring in your garbage. Bring in your junk. We, we want that here. We don't want to keep anybody away just because they have baggage. But at the same time, we're going to create an environment where it's okay to... to, to call each other out. And notice it, it says how we're supposed to do this gently and humbly. We're not just going to go in there, you know, stupid and, and angry and blunt, but we're going to create an environment that uh, enables you to grow past those things. And we're going to help each other do that. Um, so a good tribe, they're like not going to let you give up on yourself. You know what I'm saying? I think sometimes you get to that point where you've got those secrets, you've got that thing that you can't get rid of. And a good tribe is going to say, no, 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 you can grow past this. And we can be there for you to do that. So that's the second thing. We call each other out. We call each other up. We call each other out. Uh, and we help each other out. That's the third thing. We help each other out. Galatians 6, 2 through 5, you keep going, says this. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's a great verse, by the way. Um, but each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Now, these are an interesting couple of verses. I don't know if you noticed it, but uh, in the very beginning, it says to bear one another's burdens. But then when you get down to the end at verse five, it says for each one will bear his own load. And it can get a little confusing if you look at those two things uh, like in the same sitting. It almost seems like at some point, Paul, who was writing this, like got up in the middle of this and came back and forgot what he was writing and wrote something else, you know, doesn't it? If you're, if you're reading it wrong, you're like, man, he's like totally contradicting himself within three verses. Um, but Something else going on here. He did not lose his mind, and I believe the Holy Spirit inspired this, so I don't think he's wrong. Um, 
how can you bear each other's burdens but carry your own load? So um, in the way you think about your interactions with the people in your life and like the way you think about relationships in your life, there's like four ways you can think about it, four ways you can operate. The first way is what uh, I can call like dependent, a dependent person, meaning you need other people to function. Right? You, you, you probably all know somebody who's dependent. Um, this type of person is either a child, children are dependent, uh, or an adult who still acts like a child. <laughs> um, right? uh, they avoid responsibility, manipulate people and maybe providing for them, never bother to develop the skills necessary to, you know, adult. Um, so a de- the dependent person needs other people just, just to function. Okay, now uh, a, another way to operate would be codependent. And a codependent person means you need to be needed. They work really well together, actually. A dependent person is looking for a codependent person uh, because the codependent person is always looking for that sick puppy of a person who, who can't do anything on their own and they need everything provided for them. On the surface, a codependent person looks really loving and really awesome and sometimes you're like, man, I cannot believe how much you put up with. But if you dig just a little bit below the surface, what a codependent person ends up being is an enabler. They don't ever like help the person actually become an adult. They actually appreciate the dependent nature of that person uh, and it could become really, really unhealthy. Now there's a third one. Um, and I, I imagine that I'm just guessing most of us fall into this third category and that's an independent person, which is totally the American way, right? This is how we do it. Independent means we don't need nobody, and uh, we are self-made men and women. We pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Thank you very much. I'm good, right? Um, and, and if we're honest, we tend to look down on somebody who does not share our zeal or ability to be independent, right? Like my taxes pay your, your whatever. Yeah, I know. I know you say that stuff. Um, now, there's one more way to interact with people or to think about your interaction with people. And it's actually the one that the verses we just read is promoting, and that is interdependent. Interdependent. See, it says, bear your own load. And I think that does mean, hey, take responsibility for the thing you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to be dead weight. You know what I'm saying? You're not supposed to lay down on the road of life and have somebody drag you along. That's not the way you're supposed to live your life. However, at the same time, it also says bear each other's burdens. What that means is, hey, you're going to hit seasons in your life where things are too much. You're going to have situations where what you're carrying is going to cause your legs to start to shake and and you're going to be at risk to collapse. And it is those seasons where you're supposed to accept help from other people. It's those seasons where you need that tribe to be there for you. So uh, inside of a tribe, we're supposed to both uh, accept help from others. Don't do that thing. I'm good, I'm good, I got it. Don't do that, don't do that. And at the same time, we're supposed to keep our eyes open for people who need help in those situations. Interdependent. We don't sit down and do nothing, and we don't try to do everything. We, we work together. And... Uh, if you remember last week, man, if you, if you see somebody taking flaming arrows to the chest, uh, you're going to go over and you're, you're going to get your shoulder underneath their armpit and you're going to put your shield out. And you're going to help them keep moving forward because we don't, we don't all have it together all the time. We're going to be interdependent. And, and maybe the next time they're going to put their shield in front of you and they're going to be helping you. Um, but we both give and accept help and we carry our own load. 
really important. And uh, can I just say one more thing to those of you who have a bent toward independence? Because like I said, I feel like that's probably most of us. Um, I've been really convicted about this lately. I'm more of an independent type. Um, and I was reading this book by a guy named Erwin McManus. You might have heard of him. And he had this quote in his book, but he didn't know who said it. Like, there's no, like, person to say it. It's, it's more of a saying than anything. Uh, I, I wanted to kind of give him credit because it's his book that I read it in because I didn't want you to think that I said this. Um, but it's a really good quote, and it kind of impacted me. It says this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. See, because the reason this convicts me is because I'm drawn to speed. And I'm all about it. Like, let's go right now. But, I, but having kids has taught me, you know, if, if you have kids, you know, one of the things that kids teach you is that you can't go fast with a family. Like, you know, if I want to leave the house by myself, I'm like gone in like two minutes. I'm out. Like, are my keys in my wallet? See ya. If I want to leave with the kids, it's like a half hour ordeal, right? It's, <laughs> it, it takes a lot longer uh, with other people, slows you down, but it also will enable you to go further. Life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And if you want to go the distance, you can't do that alone. <laughs> and my speed in battles where I'm overmatched just causes me to fail faster. Just causes me to fail faster. So I need a tribe. I need a tribe. So a, a good tribe helps each other out. We call each other up, we call each other out, we help each other out. And then the last thing a good tribe does, uh, a good tribe needs you. A good tribe needs you. I've already said that you need a tribe. But it's just as important to remember that the tribe needs you. When a member of a tribe does not participate with the tribe <laughs> and doesn't stay like plugged into the tribe and doesn't buy in like to that ownership kind of feel of the tribe, the rest of the tribe suffers. The rest of the tribe suffers. So can I return to the word church just for a minute? You know I've been talking about church this whole time, right? Did you forget? Good. Um, sometimes I hear people say, man, I don't need church. I don't need church. Uh, I can grow spiritually all by myself. You know, me, God, and my Bible, I'm good, I'm good. I can do this thing. Um, and, I, you know, I hear people say that, and usually it's because they're hurt by the church or something like that, but whatever. I could argue it. I'd be like, no, you can't. You actually can't. Um, but let me just seed that point. Fine. You can grow on your own. You don't need a church. You and God versus the world. Let me just give you that. What about the fact, though, that God has uniquely created you and gifted you to serve in a church? To the point that when you choose not to be a part of that, the church hurts because of your absence. They may not know that they're hurting, but they're missing a piece that was supposed to be there because you were supposed to be there. And see, because the Bible talks about the church. Uh, if you grew up in church, you know that the Bible describes the church as like the body of Christ. Jesus went to heaven uh, and now we are left on earth as his body and the the Bible talks about us as being like individual pieces of that body. So if you choose to say, forget church, I'm going to go, uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm just going to go out, me versus the world, me and God. And you don't participate. It's like the body missing a limb. Or, or maybe to put it a different way. Like, I believe you can't win the battles you're facing without a tribe. Without a good, like a good group of people who say, man, those are my people. But just as much as I believe that, I believe that there are other people who might be losing battles in their life because you refuse to participate. 
You have selfishly held back your talents and gifts from the tribe and the people who are in the tribe are losing because you're not there. There's a, a, a battle line forming and there's a gap in the line because you're not there. You're supposed to be at somebody's shoulder and you're not. So I guess I just want you to consider this uh, as, as you're um, thinking about your involvement in church. Man, like, we need you. We do. Like if you're just kind of halfway in, you're just kind of in between, uh, somebody, somebody out there is losing a battle because you're not in and you need to get in there. You need to get in there. All right, let me end on this. Let me end on this. My favorite fictional books of all time are the Chronicles of Narnia. I'm going to nerd out completely on you today. You are going to, if you thought I was a nerd before, you are going to like, it's going to double, just so you know, for the next 30 seconds. Um, one of my favorite characters in the book, his name is Reepicheep. Reepicheep. My son, it's like my son, one of his nicknames is Reepicheep. Um, and Reepicheep is a talking mouse. It just keeps getting worse, I know. Um, if you're familiar with Narnia, you know that most of the animals talk, so it's not that weird. Um, but this mouse is like this chivalrous death before dishonor, like crazy amount of determination. He's just an awesome character. Uh, I, I love this little guy. And um, there's this part in the book, in one of the books, where Reepicheep is on this adventure with a group of people, and they're on this boat, big ship, and they're sailing through this really dark area. They can't see anything. Um, and they hear somebody out in the water. Can't see them, don't know who they are, nothing. Um, and uh, Reepicheep yells out into the darkness. At, 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 at who knows what, and this is what he says. Are you friend or foe? If you are foe, <laughs> we do not fear you. And if you are friend, your enemies shall be taught the fear of us. <laughs> I love that, man. That's awesome. He's not, first of all, the first part's impressive. If you're foe, we do not fear you. He doesn't even know what he's talking to. He doesn't even know, but he's like baseline, I just know this, I'm not afraid of you. I love that. Like, I'm jealous of that. And then the second line, man, if your friend, your enemy shall be taught the fear of us. I just want to be like him, you know? And I want to be a tri in a tribe full of people like that. A tribe full of people who almost like recklessly pursue God's call, God's mission on their lives, fighting fiercely with each other and for each other. Because listen, and this is the most important part, when Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not overpower it, I want you to know, hell doesn't fear you. Hell doesn't fear me. Hell fears us. You know what I'm saying? There's a difference. Hell doesn't, you stand up to the gates of hell by yourself, they don't even blink. But if we do, if, if we come together and pursue a common mission, a common purpose with passion and zeal, Hell shakes. Hell shakes. We need each other. We need a tribe. Because guys, listen, like I really believe that one is too small of a number to achieve greatness. You're called, you were created to be a part of something bigger than you. So like we've been talking about your mission and your purpose, but it's not really supposed to be yours. It's supposed to be ours. We're supposed to fit together to do something bigger together than we ever could individually trying to go on our own. That, that's the thing I'm trying to get you to see here today. Your mission probably has something to do with ours. 
And if we can't do it on our own, uh, we have to come together. We have to be unified going forward. We can't do it without you. We can't. So I guess my, my big plea here is, man, like don't dabble. Don't dabble in this. If you're in, get in. Um, and make that decision. Make that decision. I don't have any other action item. You know, um, as, as we, if, you, if you know the way we do church, like we don't ask a bunch of stuff. We try not to fill your calendar up too much. We, we got church on Sunday morning. We got thrive groups during the week, and then we ask you to serve somewhere. Like just, uh, just trying to keep it simple. But those are the three things we really focus on you doing. So uh, think about that. Pray about that. If you're not in, in those three areas, uh, that's, that's the kind of stuff that's going to enable us to be that tribe together and have that feel uh, so that we can say this to each other. Um, which is just awesome. All right. Trying to get my church to be a church full of reaper cheeps. Write that one down. That's a Facebook post right there. Everybody be like, your church is weird. We are. I'm sorry. Uh, All right. Well, pray with me. Pray with me.